1 Corinthians 13 is going to be where we start, so if you want to go ahead and just kind of open up there if you closed your Bible from earlier. 1 Corinthians 13. It's good to have all of you guys with us this morning. Uh, The visitors, we have a bunch, and it's cool to see that. It's encouraging for us. We have a smaller group here. It's a pretty new group here. We've only been meeting together for like two years and some change. So we're thankful to have all you guys find us and worship with us. And we also have several people that are normally here that are out of town for the same reasons you guys are in town. So uh, we're thankful for that. And for those that are normally with us, thanks for making time and making the priority to be here. Um, In 1 Corinthians 13, probably most of you know exactly um, the content of that chapter, right? Because oftentimes it's highlighted for various reasons because it's a beautiful portrait of love. Um, And we've been talking through the characteristics uh, for several months now, it feels like. I mean, it's been a while. I've been going through these qualities that love presents according to God's love, right? And so for months and months, maybe once or twice a month, I'd pick the next one in the sequence and highlight it and talk about it. And so, alas, this is the final one. This is These are the last qualities of love that we're going to talk about. Uh, and I kind of grouped two together for this lesson. Um, if you look in 1 Corinthians 13, and if you look with me at the very end of this sequence of qualities, which is in verse 7, the ending there, um, I want to pick up with where we left off last time, but let's read through this, these uh, qualities again as we are uh, trying to remind ourselves of some of these. Beginning in verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never ends. Now, depending on your translation, some of those words might have been a little different, but certainly the ideas are the same, right? And so we've been talking through these, and I, when I first started this series, I thought this would be a good series to talk about like practical application of each one of these qualities, because a lot of the times... Love is practiced and preached just in the world as a like the supreme ethic, right? Like that is how we all need to be operating. But how that ends up kind of on a practical level, being practiced is not God's love, right? When we see how the world manipulates the concept of love to be um, all-inclusive or to be apathetic or to be th- abusive or to be all these things that God never intended real love to be. And so I wanted to highlight some of these things because we all see that, we feel that. We struggle with that reality um, of the world versus the realities of God and how do we kind of operate. And so hopefully these uh, lessons have been helpful for you. If you're visiting with us, you're just going to catch the back end of it. But hopefully it's still encouraging for you in your walk with God. Look at verse 7 again. The quality that I want to highlight this morning is the back end of verse 7 where it says love endures all things. And I want to combine that with what verse 8 says when it says love never ends. There's certainly a lot I think that can be said about this concept theologically. Like you can get into a lot of really deep stuff 
especially considering where verse 8 continues to go and where the rest of the chapter continues to unfold this idea in verse 8 that love never ends, but as for like prophecies, they're going to pass away. And as for tongues, they will cease. And as for knowledge, it's going to pass away. And for what we know in part and what we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And when I was a child, I spoke like a child and I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And now I know in part, but then I shall be known fully, or I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. There's a lot that could be said or even speculated about love from that context. And I think there's some inclinations that we may have from our understanding of other passages in the Bible. I think minimally we're seeing that love is going to last beyond these other things, even maybe in the sense of like faith and hope. Maybe it outlasts those things, and I think there's some ways in which that's probably true, right? Someday when Jesus returns, our faith will be made sight, right? Someday when Jesus comes back to claim his people, our hope will be fulfilled, but we'll still be in the love of God, and we'll still have a love for God. So maybe in that sense, love remains, right, and continues. Maybe as it relates to these gifts, right, there's some time and some place that an expectation of some of these prophecies and tongues should pass away. But love is still going to be kind of how God's people are operating, even when those things are gone. But I don't want to spend a lot of time even reflecting on kind of these theological ideas that do have some practical application. I want to talk about just this concept that love endures and it never ends on more of a day-to-day, on more of a personal kind of application. Um, In John chapter 13, you can listen with me as I read it, or you can turn there. In verse 35, Jesus says this, By this all people will know that you're my my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's exactly the kind of love that is being discussed in 1 Corinthians 13. It's this agape love, which is not necessarily brotherly love, which maybe Jesus could be referencing there, but it's not also romantic love and it's not familial love. It's not some love you'd have for your parents or your, your sister or your aunt or anything. It's a choice that you make. It's a selfless choosing to show someone love that is in their best interest, right? And that's really what 1 Corinthians is talking about is you're going to sacrifice and you're going to choose to love someone the way that they need love shown to them. That's agape love, right? And obviously, there's a lot of ways that love can be shown, and we're going to talk more about that in this lesson. Um, But love is like the chief characteristic of a Christian in so many contexts and so many teachings of the Bible. Like, you are going to be known by your love, in John 13, by how we love each other, right? And so, love is a defining characteristic, and love is a choice. So what does that mean? And that's what I want to explore a little bit this morning is what does that mean in the context that love endures? And what does that mean in the context that love never ends? And how do I practice love that endures? How do I practice love that doesn't have an end? And so that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. So let's, let's kind of define this. I looked up endures as I typically do and I try to get some, like I think there's always going to be some nugget and a definition that really like, oh wow, now I get it right? And when I looked it up, it just says to remain. 
I was like, okay, well, great. That's helpful. And so then I looked up, okay, well, maybe love never ends has something. And it just says to descend from a higher place to a lower. I thought that was kind of a weird definition of never ends. And there was a bunch. There was like 15 kind of sub-definitions of this idea. And they all kind of come together to where people kind of formulate this never ends idea. But I thought, okay, if love endures, it's to remain. And another definition of that was to tarry along, right? To kind of continue, to work and continue. And then this idea that love never ends, right, is that it descends from a higher plane to a lower. I was like, I I don't know totally what to make of that. And I started thinking about it. And I started coming up with some things that maybe, and I think this is true, and I don't know if this is the intent of this definition, but I started thinking in terms of, all right, well, God is the supreme being, right? Like he is, as Isaiah would say, in a place that is above us. He's higher than us, and his ways are above us and higher than us. And if love is who God is, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, right? Love is a supreme thing. And perhaps maybe that's why Christians are to be defined by that, because that's who God is. And so to speak, Jesus is this never ends, right? Like he's something, he's love that's come from a higher place down to a lower place, right? And so maybe along those lines, we start to kind of picture Love never ends in a practical sense. Jesus demonstrates that for us, doesn't he? He has come from a higher place. He's come down to a lower place, and he remains. He's resurrected, right? He hasn't, he's never not existed. He was from the beginning, and he will be to the end. And so, in so many ways, we think about how Jesus manifests the gospel to us and how he is the personification of so many things we're chasing after and we're pursuing. And I think when we think about enduring and remaining to the end, these definitions help us think of Jesus again, right? And so it's only appropriate that as we're kind of pursuing a personal application of these concepts, we'd go to Jesus, right? And so as you think about Jesus in his life, I think you can think about what it looks like to endure, and to never end in your love, because Jesus certainly did it. Um, And so that was kind of the picture, the portrait that I had of love, is if love is a thing that I can see operate, I should picture Jesus. And if I can think of how Jesus, like, remained or tarried along, right, how he endured, then I can see how love does that. And if I can see how Jesus is and always will be, and I have no expectation of a variation or a shadow to come in his person, then that's how love is. And so I started to kind of get a taste of maybe what some of these things mean. No, though not like totally, right? But perhaps that's what's meant in this text. And then look at verse uh, 13 of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, 13, 13. Faith, hope, and love. Those are, if you were to ask me, three qualities of a Christian go. I would say those three probably, right? Like, maybe even instead of qualities of a Christian, I would say, like, what are the things Christians have? And I would say, those are the three things, right? Or what are the pursuits of Christianity? I would say probably those three things. But at the end of the day, as I mentioned before, love in some way is put on a pedestal Value is placed in love somewhere beyond what is placed in faith and hope. And it almost sounds weird to say that because they all seem really, really important. So I'm not trying to 
paint the portrait that all three are not important, but love is supreme. Right? Love in this text is the greatest of these. And so as we wrestle with this idea that love endures all things, I think it's by nature it has to because it's the greatest. And I think as we consider love never ends, well, it has to not fail. It has to not end because it's the greatest. Just as God himself is the greatest and just as God himself is the best, right? Love is that same thing. And perhaps that's why God is not, in 1 John 4, 8, John doesn't say God is hope or God is faith, but he says God is love, right? And so I don't pretend to have a perfect understanding of maybe all the ins and outs of what it means to endure all things or that love never ends. But hopefully just kind of wrestling with those concepts starts to kind of round out this idea of maybe how to think about it. Think about Jesus and how he endured and he never ends and you have a portrait in the same manner that love does. And how Jesus is the greatest and the best. He is God. Well, then love is this quality that is the greatest and the best, right? And God defines himself or defines love by himself and they correlate. So stepping away from that, because I didn't know how much more I could really talk about that. I didn't have a whole lot better grasp on that if I'm being honest with you. I stepped into, okay, so as best as I can understand, endures to remain, to, to kind of pursue or persevere. And as best as I can understand what it means for something not to end, how do I practice that? Like, what does that mean for me in my day-to-day? And this is where I have a little more to say, especially scripturally on this. Um, and I don't pretend that this is an exhaustive list, but I think this is a good kind of parameters for you in your life, for me in my life. To think about if I'm going to, going to love like God is love and I'm going to endure and have love that never ends just as God's love endures and how his love never ends, then maybe these are some ways that I can do that. And so this is what I've got. I think, first of all, that we need to commit to love in such a way that we're committing to love no matter what. That sounds kind of fundamental and basic, doesn't it? Like... But if love is going to endure and love is never going to end, then that's going to take a commitment to love. That is not context sensitive, right? That is not circumstantial. It's just a commitment to love. And I want to expand this to say it's also a commitment to love as love can come in a bunch of different forms. So it's a commitment to this idea and teaching of what love actually is and not my definition or my preference for love and how it should be, right? And that's where 1 Corinthians 13 is helpful because it flushes out what is love, right? As God defines it, not as the world defines it. So what I mean by this is make up your mind to find a way to love other people no matter what. But the interesting thing about people is we're not all the same. And that presents a lot of fun and it presents a lot of challenges. And it presents a lot of dynamics, that can make figuring out how to love people kind of difficult, doesn't it? Especially when it's people that don't receive or want love the same way that I want it or want to receive it or need it even. For instance, what I mean by this, uh, depending on the circumstances, someone else's circumstances, love may look something like this. 
simply telling someone that you love them. We don't want to overlook kind of that basic idea of love, conveying that I care about you and I'm going to choose to love you or to help you in the ways that you need it. Sometimes you just need to say that, right? Uh, I'm not the best at saying that. Kirby knows that. And so when I say it, I think it means a lot to her because she understands that I don't think that way and I don't say it or communicate it plainly like that all the time, right? But I do recognize that's something that I need to say. And while that's maybe a romantic love that's being conveyed there, I need to do the same thing with this agape. I need to let people know I'm choosing to care about them, right? What about if it's someone that wouldn't expect you to love them? How much more important is it then to actually maybe convey that? Like, I actually care about you. That's a surprising thing, isn't it? And maybe that's an opportunity to say, you know what? I care about you not because we're friends or we have a bunch of things in common or because you'd expect me to, but because God wants me to care about you, right? How about this? What if your love needs to come in this form? You need to have fellowship with someone that's different from you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the context of where God is saying this, right? Some people are of Apollos, some people are of Cephas, some people are of Jesus, some are claiming Paul. Or they have different backgrounds, they have different values, they're placing value in one guy and not the other guy, and they're all in the same church. They've got to have fellowship with each other. There's a lot to say about that, and there's a lot of problems in that thinking, right? But fundamentally, if I'm going to have a love that endures and I'm going to have a love that never ends, then I need to be willing to have fellowship with someone that's different than me. And I need to tarry along those people, right? Or I need to, in a sense, in my own thinking, maybe I'm thinking just as never ends is defined from going from a higher place, higher plane to a lower plane, maybe... My love needs to not end by coming from wherever I am to wherever they are, right? In my thinking or in my understanding of someone. In fact, seek out friendship with that someone, that brother or sister in the church or in another church or whatever that you can have fellowship with that you have nothing in common with. It's an interesting thing. We're talking about living stones in the Bible class this morning. We're being built up into a spiritual house as living stones, um, I don't imagine God intends that all these stones are going to look exactly the same. Right? He talks about the body being made up of different members. And some of us look like hands or feet or eyes, but we have different roles and we all make up a body. Well, fundamentally, that's going to mean we look different and we act different and we have different gifts and abilities. And what that means sometimes is you're going to meet somebody in the church or someone who's a believer that is on the opposite spectrum of gifts and attitude and personality than you are. And what that's going to mean for you is if I have a love that endures, I can deal with that person. And it's not just like deal with them. If I have a love that never ends, then I'm going to make a point to choose to care about them and have a relationship with them. So... For those of us that worship right here regularly, we're a pretty small group. There's not a lot of places to hide, right? Like that person that kind of annoys you, not a, not, there's not a lot of bodies to kind of put between you and them. And so we really need to like practice this 
And for those of you that are visiting, I don't know what your context, your church context is. Maybe it's a big group, maybe it's a small group. But you need to practice this. Care about people that are different from you. Love endures that. Love doesn't fail or end just because someone's different than you. All right. Another way that maybe we can apply this is sometimes love comes in this form, teaching someone what God has taught you, right? In fact, the text that we are reading from uh, this morning, the book of 1 Peter talks a little bit about this. Um, in verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm pulling this out of a context here, but it says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And in the context here, uh, it's talking about how to be self-controlled, how to be sober-minded. And then in verse 9, it says, Showing hospitality to each other without grumbling. What I think the context of how love covers a multitude of sins is love's going to move you to do things that are godly. Love's going to move you to pursue and to help people in godly ways and to push them towards godliness, right? To teach them godly ways. And so godly love, 1 Corinthians 13, right, is going to actually encourage godly behavior in myself and in other people. And so if my love endures and my love never ends, then I'm going to look for opportunities to show someone what God has taught me, right? And I'm going to endure whatever it takes to be endured in that teaching, in that endeavor, because I love them and because I love God. And I'm going to not fail in that effort. And what I mean by that is not that they don't receive it or not that something hinders it, but that I'm not going to give up in that. It's not going to be a weakness in my love, right? Love never ends. That keeps me from doing that. And so I want to get a little more uh, specific. Maybe some of us have friends who are not living godly lives. Think about that one person that pops up in your mind right now. I'm sure we all have at least a couple. What would you share with them if you really loved them like you should? Right? And maybe you have shared with them and you're thinking, man, I love them a lot and I've tried to share this with them. Good, keep enduring that. Love doesn't end. Keep trying, right? But that's what love does. Love teaches those who need the teaching, right? If I choose what's in your best interest, your best interest is God. And his teaching is important for you. And because I love you and I care about you, I'm going to endure whatever it takes to help you see that. And I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to end loving you despite whatever may come from that. Right? How about this concept? Loving someone else may mean forgiving someone who wants to take advantage of you. Do we endure that? Do we, or does our love stop there? Does it end? Or are we willing to actually be taken advantage of? Sometimes we're taken advantage of and we didn't see it coming. You know, we're like, oh man, that really like crushed me. I didn't even see that coming. It was a curveball. It ended up that they just were wanting to take advantage of. Sometimes we know it's coming, right? And I think that's the real challenge. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the context are, is those suing one another in the church, Right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
But the teaching from that is why wouldn't you rather just be defrauded, right, than, than to like win an argument with your brother, right, to prove that you are right. Maybe you were right, but why wouldn't you rather be defrauded? In fact, he says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, just so you know I'm not making that up because it sounds crazy, right? But that's God's teaching on that. And the principle that I take out of that is sometimes you're going to deal with people, even brethren, Christians, that are more interested in winning an argument or getting something out of a situation than they are in serving and loving. Sometimes it happens, and sometimes it's because of misunderstanding on their part immaturity, but sometimes they know better and that's what they do. And certainly, if brethren are capable of that because they're people, how much more so will the world pursue endeavors like that? Am I willing to love and endure in my love and to not fail or end in my love even when I know that's going to happen? If the Corinthians practiced the kind of love that's described in 1 Corinthians 13, they wouldn't have needed the teaching of why not rather be defrauded. Sometimes... We just need to be defrauded, and that's how we can show love, is because we endure and we don't fail. We don't end. Right. So, specifically, don't. here's another kind of subset of that. Don't call for justice with brethren who take advantage of you, but rather let them win. Right? And I think that's the idea of 1 Corinthians 6 in a lot of ways. And we see that in other places. In fact, love may sometimes mean... Give to others with no expectation of a return. That's not a fun one for me personally. I like to give to people that I know I'll get back. Especially if like I'm loaning a book or something. That's kind of a silly example, isn't it? But like I loan people books and I loan those people books because I expect that they're the type of person that'll give me the book back someday. Right? Now, that's a silly example, but it's kind of a microcosm of that mentality, isn't it? Like, I'm going to give because I know I'll at least get a return of what is mine, if not more, right? I'll also gain favor or friendship or whatever else out of loaning that book. We think like that, or at least I do. I don't want to put that on you, but I know I think like that. In uh, Luke chapter 6, if you want to turn there with me. Luke chapter 6. In verse 35, it says this, Jesus speaking. It says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. If I'm committed right, to enduring in my love. I'm going to commit to every form that love could possibly take in my life. And sometimes it's giving without expecting a return, right? Depending on the context, a love that endures might demand that, right? At some point in our life, we're going to have to believe that and practice this. And so I need to maybe even seek out somebody who has a need and meet it, especially if they can't reciprocate. That's a good practice. Like if I'm willing to love in an enduring, never-ending kind of way, maybe I should practice that by seeking people out that would fit that challenge, right? And I know those of us who are working with this group, we know some people like that. 
don't we? And they're challenging us in that. We need that. If I'm going to commit to every form that love can take, sometimes that might mean refusing to condone or to cater to the sins of other people. It's not a fun aspect of love to think about, and it's certainly not one the world considers when they think about love. But it is a biblical concept that love would actually demand that out of a brother or sister. In fact, in the book of Corinthians, that happens. In chapter 5, you have someone who has his father's wife, and kind of that whole dialogue that takes place about how to handle that. And he says, you know, uh, that the expectation is not even that Gentiles would would tolerate that right like it would be awkward or out of place even among them and so in that text actually what's required give me a moment to turn there in that text what's required of that situation is in verse 1 of chapter 5 there's sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant ought you not rather to mourn Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Now, some might say, that's not love, right? A love that endures and a love that never ends would kind of tolerate this in hopes that, like, friendship can still be had or fellowship is still existent. But what God is seeing is he's seeing sin, and so God has no fellowship with that. And so fellowship has already ceased in that sense. God's not going to tolerate sin, right? And so shouldn't the church reflect the realities of God? And that's, I think, the teaching of chapter 5. He says that this person doesn't need to be among you, and he elaborates on kind of what all that's about and why, right? He uses this image of like a lump of dough and how it's affected by yeast, that sort of thing, leaven. But sometimes love that endures and love that never ends in certain contexts might mean being patient with someone who's sinning in the sense of it's not fun to cut them off but i need to be patient and trust the lord through that process right and i need to refuse to cater to that sin and i don't need to condone the sin but i'm going to endure in the teaching of god and i'm going to never end in the love that god has prescribed for me to have in this moment right All right. Last application of this is that sometimes committing to love that endures and love that never ends means making a personal sacrifice for someone else. Of course, Jesus talks about this in John chapter 15. No greater friend has someone in this than one who lays down his life for them or for his friends, right? Obviously, Jesus demonstrates that love requires personal sacrifice on some level. And a love that endures and never ends certainly is going to run into that at some point. And not just once, but probably a lot. And so one simple way that I thought of to even be more direct is spend time with someone who lives in a dangerous neighborhood or that you feel is a dangerous neighborhood. Maybe spend time with someone who has sketchy friends, right? Or someone who kind of makes you nervous or you feel weird around. Those are small personal sacrifices that we can make in an effort to love someone, endure in that love, to not fail in that love for them, right? Is that we can be building godly relationships with people we might otherwise 
not because it costs us some comfort. It costs us some time. It costs us some effort. It costs me something personally. Right? We need to be loving those people as well. And the second thing is how do I practice love that endures and never fails? The first one was commit to every form that love can take, right, as God teaches, but also never stop loving. So the first one harps on kind of this idea of enduring more, and this part talks specifically about how love never ends. Not only make up your mind to love others no matter what, but also no matter when. Right? And I think that's one practical way we can think about love never ends. There's no time, right? And there is no like moment that my love is gonna fail. And maybe that's a practical sense that we can mimic Jesus' eternal love, is that I in my life, will not have love have kind of these aberrations where it, it, it's not existent. Love will continue in my life, right? And so, love endures all things and never fails. So there's not a time to stop loving someone, There's, nor is there any sequence of events that will keep you as a Christian from loving someone. And what I mean by that is not certainly the world's love. There's a lot of forms love can take, but there is always a path that love has, right? Sometimes love is patiently bearing with someone who needs forgiveness. Sometimes love is reaching out to somebody that you normally wouldn't be friends with. Sometimes love is teaching a truth to someone who needs to hear it. Sometimes love is refusing to condone or accept the sin of a brother or sister, but whatever form it takes, my life needs to be defined constantly by God's love. It needs to endure and it does not need to fail or stop. So what does it look like? It can mean forgiving someone over and over and over and over again. No matter the time of day, no matter the time of night, your life is defined by your consistency in loving them and forgiving them. Matthew chapter uh, 18 Right? How many times, verse 21 and 22, how many times should I forgive my brother? And what does Jesus say? Seven times? No, seven times 70. Right? And so now you're thinking, oh, well, just 490 times. That's all I got to do it, right? The idea there is as much as they seek forgiveness and the implication of this, love compels you to forgive them. Right? Love never stops. It never fails. It never ends. Right? Lover will acquire understanding the struggles of sin, right? It can mean making personal sacrifice over and over and over again. We've already highlighted these things. We talked about how that's a form of love can take, but now we're talking about how consistently love might need to take that avenue. It might be over and over and over again, and love never fails. It never ends. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48 Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount how sacrificial disciples are, right? In fact, in that text, if you want to follow along with me in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38, listen to what it says. You've heard that it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, don't resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Personal sacrifice over and over and over again. And you'd ask, 
what kind of person would do that, would live this out? I would say the kind of person that's interested in loving like God loves. Love never ends. And finally, what does it look like to never stop loving? It can mean patiently waiting for the lost brother to return. We talked about how you might have to cut them off, so to speak. Don't condone. Don't cater to sin. Make it plain. Teach when you need to teach. Stand for the truth when you need to stand for the truth. But love doesn't write them off. Love patiently waits and hopes for a return. Luke chapter 15, right? The prodigal son. Jesus talks a lot about this portrait of what it looks like for one to wander away from God. And what we often think about in that story is like God's response to the one that comes back, which is fair because much of that story is about this father figure who sees his son return. But we don't often pay attention to the negative brother, right? And we pay less attention to like his failure to like be happy that his brother returned. He's just like, oh, well, he was a bum. Like, why are we so excited that he's come back? I've been here the whole time. We act like that sometimes when a brother, we have to make a stand for truth. And what ends up happening is that feeds our ego and we let it. But instead, love that never fails, that never stops, patiently and hopefully, unlike that brother, waits for the return of the one who's lost. And so real love will require years and years sometimes of patience with an erring brother. It will. Sometimes it's days, sometimes it's hours, but sometimes it's years and years. But a love that endures and love that never ends will wait that out and be happy and joyful when the return is made. And so hopefully this lesson gives us some practical ways to think about what it looks like if love endures and love never ends. I'm not sure where all of you guys are in your spiritual lives and in your church lives and things like that. But hopefully this lesson has given you some things to kind of think about for yourself. Think about the type of love that you show to people. And does it really match up with this? I know doing all of these lessons, I've seen big gaps in how I practice love. Um, so hopefully you do better than me. But if you're not, pray about it. Think about these verses. If there's anyone here this morning that needs the prayers of this group, wants help, wants to talk about something um, scripturally. I know you might not know us well for those that are normally here. Please reach out to people. What better group of people, even if we don't know each other very well, to talk to about stuff like this than people that are interested in stuff like this and are living that life themselves. And so I'd encourage you to do that while Stephen's um, leading us in this song.